Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Sasha Smulders. I'm Joe Fulgham. This is The Sandman, Issue 53, World's End, Hobbes' Leviathan. Again, the covers for these, if you're looking in the collected editions, are actually up at the front of them. And the cover for this one actually has a photograph that was used on the cover of the first of the World's Ends. You can see that there's a a Polaroid of that uh, picture of the World's End Inn on the cliffside. So there's all sorts of like interwoven bits on these covers. Uh, I've got the pages that have the really small covers, but it doesn't say which one's which. The one with the star face in the top right corner. Mm-hmm. Can you see a star with faces? Yeah, that's the now one. Now look on the chest, like on the on the hip of the of the person next to them or on the dress next to them. There's a little Polaroid picture. Oh, okay. That Polaroid has a picture of the World's End Inn. Mm. Also has a tall ship. And I think an allusion to a woman masquerading as a man here, sort of, with the clothing and stuff. Let's head on to the inside. So this is a story from Jim. Call me Jim. That's probably an allusion to Call Me Ishmael from the beginning of Moby Dick. Mm. As well, it might be a reference to Joseph Conrad's Lord Jim. So it might be both of them mixed together. Hmm. It's a very dramatic beginning to the story. Like, Call Me Jim takes a sip. Yeah. I'll tell you all a story. It's a true story, too, though you may not believe it. And there are times I don't believe it, though I was there. And I saw what I saw. (laughs) But before I get started, uh, where the heck are we? (laughs) What's going on? What the heck is going on? And the innkeeper gives a bit of an answer. Mm -hmm, That it's not a place. It's Mm -hmm. not in a country. Uh, So Jim was washed ashore when their uh, boat was swept up on the rocks. And Mm -hmm. so they made it onto, when they say the ship's boat, I guess they mean like the little rowboat. Yeah. And so they got up ashore and they headed up to the house. Yeah. And in Jim's time, it is September of 1914. Yeah. Uh, One of the sailors that Jim was with thought that this place was Fiddler's Green, who we've met before. Mm -hmm. It's not, though. Jim doesn't seem to believe in that stuff. For Brant, it's June of 1993. And then Jim tells their story. Jim was the child of a single mom. Didn't talk much of their father and uh, had a wanderlust and a fascination with the sea. And on their 13th birthday, they dressed in some old clothes they begged and borrowed from from friends and ran away to go work on the boats as a Mm -hmm. sailor. So my first read through, that was the first, that little thing of that they begged and borrowed their clothes from friends Mm -hmm. was the first time I was like, Wait, they they didn't have any old clothes? Yeah, why did they have to borrow clothes? I know, it was good. It's a good reveal, right? Yeah. We've all read to the end. We know what's going on. Yeah. But yeah. And uh, they did fairly well on sailing life. They they made money Mm -hmm. because they didn't drink and smoke. Mm -hmm. Um, They narrowly escaped a real bad time on the second ship uh, because they jumped ship one night and apparently there was a mutiny afterwards where... uh, the entire ship went down. Everyone must have died. Yeah. Um, and from then on, they went to the Sea Witch. Mm-hmm. A Barkentine. It's a, a sailing vessel with three or more masts. It has a square-rigged foremast and a fore-and-aft-rigged main mizzen and other masts. Mm. 
it's a fairly big ship, but it actually has a uh, can run with a smaller crew. Oh. Mm-hmm. So the the captain's name is Herbert Bugrave. Burgrave. Burgrave. Herbert Burgrave. That's a hard name to say. Herbert Burgrave. <laughs> Herbert Burgrave. Do you want to try it again? No, I just like that. Herbert Burgrave. Okay. Herbert Burgrave. Herbert Burgrave. Her name is Herbert Burgrave. Mm-hmm. Captain Herbert Burgrave. And they take on somebody that, as a passenger, that we've met before. Yeah. An Englishman. Mm-hmm. Mr. Gadling, who we know as Hob Gadling, mm-hmm. who is immortal because he decided... In the presence of death and dream, oh, it's easy. You just don't die. And they were like, oh, let's let's make that happen. Mm-hmm. It's actually yeah. easy. You just don't drown. Yeah, easy. And uh, he manages to convince the captain to take him as a passenger, which is weird because we find out later he owns the ship. Yeah, there's a bunch of hints that Hob owns the ship here. Like that, yeah, he convinced him to take him on as a passenger, even though the captain didn't like passengers. And then when they catch the stowaway, he, oh, all right, fine. And also that the ship had been forced to wait for a week in the harbor and the captain wasn't happy about it. Yeah. And it waited until this man shows up. Mm -hmm. Then it takes off right away. Yep. Yeah. So the captain's just kind of a curmudgeon about the whole thing, but he knows that he owns it and he's waiting for the man who owns it. I think the captain wants to do his job and doesn't want to have to wait just because some suit who happens to own the ship that this captain runs wants to wait for it. I guess, yeah. You know, he's like, look, the, the job I want is, is moving cargo back and forth on the sea and telling people what to do. And you're getting in the way of that job, even though you're my boss. Hmm. I totally get it. Hmm. He's got a good boss, though. I mean, we find out. Hob Gadling has learned some lessons. He's a pretty wise man. Yeah, he stays out of the way. Yeah. We learn a little bit about the other sailors. Yeah. There was a German from Hamburg. When rummed up, he'd tell them how the Kaiser would put them all in their places. <laughs> Which uh, they soon try, will try to in World War One. Right? Yeah. Um, I like the tall Norwegian and the tall Swede, who are not named. Uh, they hated each other's guts. They'd shipped together before, and there was an old quarrel there, though I never knew the, never knew the bones of it. They both have tattoos with hearts that say Nancy. Yep. I think I know the bones of it. Mm-hmm. I think I know the bones, too. And a few more, some uh, Africans who hung together like brothers. One of them was Nathaniel Donning, who was the best sailor in the ship. He was the second mate. And the general opinion on the sea witch was that he would have been a captain if only he were white. We have an Irish cook who loves to read uh, Yeats. Yeats? Mm-hmm. Yeats? Poetry? Mm-hmm. Irish poetry. And a Scottish engineer that is colloquially named Donkey Man. Because apparently in old ships, donkeys used to do that job. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know anything about donkeys I, I on the bottom of sailing that. ships. I, I, I studied sailing a little bit as a sea scout, but we never talked about donkeys. Hmm. It was mostly about how to tack. And the first mate, a Californian named Canby, who doesn't seem to really like the ship that much. He's like, ah, the future's here. With all these steamships, this is old fashioned. Mm-hmm. But Jim likes it. Yeah. He accuses Jim of being a romantic for Mm -hmm. loving sailing ships, for loving being uh, the difference in a sailing ship versus uh, versus a a tugboat. Why be a sailor if you're not? I I, probably because the pay is decent, I think would be the answer for that. But, you know, I get it. Might be better to be a romantic. Five days out from Bombay, uh, suddenly Jim gets taken downstairs 
with uh, the first and second mate are heading down downstairs to the hold mm-hmm. to their storage area uh, because food has been disappearing. So they head down there and they find someone. Yeah, a little uh, Indian gentleman. Oh, dear. I love he says, oh, dear, when he first gets grabbed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we find out later that he's immortal, too. Yeah. I mean, oh, dear. I don't want to have to get thrown overboard. And make it's my very way uncomfortable way. for me. Yeah, like he's not exactly worried about dying, so it's very cute that he's not taking it's, all these threats too seriously. Well, oh, yeah, he can't die. Yeah, okay. There are other immortals that can die. Yeah, and but we're so, pretty sure he's of the type that can't, since the we the haven't mon- got to yeah. the story, the mongoose got burned and yeah. things like that. But I'm sure it would be incredibly uncomfortable regardless to be lost at sea oh to be thrown overboard and have to eventually find your way back for sure he doesn't want that to happen no I'm not saying he's he's not fine five with days everything. out from bombay on a fast sailing ship yeah no no and he's about to basically get thrown in the stocks being given just bread and water and then dumped off of the next port but hob gadling steps in and pays his fare and he now gets the purser's cabin and the purser is sleeping with the men mm-hmm there's a few racist and sort of racist terms here. I'll, I'll cover them a little. Uh, Gunga Din is the name of a Rudyard Kipling poem. It's actually a poem that's kind of praiseworthy of an Indian gentleman and regretting that he didn't treat him very well. Like mm-hmm. The last line is, you're a better man than I am, Gunga Din. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it was a popular poem, it became just slang for Indian person. Yeah. So you just call somebody Gunga Din. Yeah. And it's a little derogatory. Yeah. Uh, the other term that he uses, uh, W-O-G, I'm not even going to say it out loud, even though it's not really a racial slur here in Canada, uh, where we are, but this is going all over the world, uh, very prevalent in the UK and Australia, generally means non-white person. Mm-hmm. Not a good term. Very racist. Yeah. Uh, the captain here is uh, letting that show for sure. Mm-hmm. And then we get a scene between our Indian stowaway and Hob Gadling, and Jim is there. Mm-hmm. They're talking about mermaids and what <laughs> could be beneath the waves. Yeah. Hob's pretty rational. He points out there's more water than land, and we barely know what's on land. Mm-hmm. Whereas the stowaway uh, is convinced he wants to talk about mermaids because women are fickle, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and it leads him to a story that he wants to tell. Yes. Which we're pretty sure this is his story, right? Mm-hmm. This is the story of how he became immortal. The story of Raja Bathari, which is actually from Indian folklore. This is, is Raja the, Bathari, the name of the king? Raja Bathari is the name of the king, yes. I guess then this character's name is Raja Bathari. I guess he's Bathari, yeah. Uh, Since he doesn't get any other name besides a kind of racist <laughs> Kipling assigned name... Uh, we could go by that, at least. And that's the story that Neil tells is basically the story of Raja Barthari. Barthari? Barthari. B-H-A-R-T-H-A-R-I. Barthari. Barthari. And Raja is king. Sort of. I, I think Raja can mean many things, but it's it's a title, yeah. Sure. Like Lord. Long story short about this this folklore tale or whatever mm-hmm. tale of immortality is that a uh, a wise man shows up at the palace um he cuts off his own hand and magically sticks it right back on again to mm-hmm. show that he is in fact 
all magical and cool and stuff. Um, he gains an audience with the king, and he offers the king a magical fruit. And the more you eat, the more you toot. Uh, no, way. No, that's beans. The more you eat, the more unkillable you are. That's right. He tells the king he doesn't want he doesn't want it. He doesn't want to live forever because living forever is a young man's game. And because he's an old wise man, he's he wants to do his whole cycles of life thing and doesn't want to take himself out of the karmic cycle. Right. Which is cool, especially if you put a lot of work into into the karmic cycle ahead yeah. of time. Maybe you don't want to step off right yeah. before the end. Yeah. He proves that he he proves that the fruit is uh, what it says it is by feeding it to a mongoose and then throwing the mongoose in a fire, which sounds really mean to do to a mongoose, but whatever. Now there's an immortal, immortal mongoose. mongoose. I want immortal mongoose stories. Uh, it's Ricky Tiki Tavi, but instead immortal. Oh, okay, yeah. Another Kipling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> potentially a Kipling thing. Uh, anyway, so uh, the the prince, mm-hmm. he, has the, he has the fruit, um, but he loves his wife. So much that instead of him keeping it, he decides to give it to her so she can be immortal. Mm-hmm. But it turns out she loves somebody else. She's been mm-hmm. sleeping with one of her guards, so she gives him the fruit, mm-hmm. which is like awkward. Because what if your husband accidentally kills you and then you die? And he's like goofing around, like, "Hey, you're an immortal now," and then shoots you with an arrow for fun, and then it kills you. That would be that's just a dumb move. She yeah. made a dumb move. When it doesn't she did make this. any sense. He gives it to a sex worker, but then she loves the the raja and so she gives him that apple again the fruit so it makes its way all the way around back to him and he knows it's because women are fickle well she doesn't give it to him because she loves him she doesn't give it to the to the raja because she loves him she gives it to him because she's uncertain of it yeah and she loves earthly rewards Mm -hmm. so she comes to him to be like hey yo someone gave me this magic fruit and i would rather you just gave me a bunch of that money Instead of this magic fruit, you mm-hmm. can have the magic fruit because you're you're the kind of guy who could pay a lot for this. Yeah, and he is upset, mm. so he gives her a bunch of money. Yeah, he kills his wife and the guard. Yeah, super dead. I'm pretty sure it's their heads that are on the sticks in the final panel of page thirteen. I think that's true. Yes, uh, there are some heads on sticks, and I think that's them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he gives his throne over to his brother. Mm-hmm. He dresses up like a pauper. And he heads out to go walking around and eating the fruit. He ate the fruit and walked out of the city into the Rook, never to be seen again. Uh, rook is usually used as a spe- another spelling of the word rock, meaning the giant bird. But in uh, Kipling's book, he actually calls the jungle the Rook a lot of the time. Hmm. So I think that's what Neil's meaning here. Walked out into the jungle. Hmm. And that is the story. The point that he's making is that... Um, is that women are fickle. And uh, even apparently uh, Kipling justly castigated as a species more deadly than the males. <laughs> is that true? Is Did Kipling say that about women? That women are their own species? Rudyard Kipling has a poem called The Female of the Species, which ends several of its stanzas with, for the female of the species is more deadly than the male. Huh. When the Himalayan peasant meets the he-bear in his pride, he shouts to scare the monster who will often turn aside. But the she-bear thus accosted rends the peasant tooth and nail, for the female of the species is more deadly than the male. When Nag the basking cobra hears the careless foot of man, he will sometimes wriggle sideways and avoid it if he can. But his mate makes no such motion where she camps beside the trail, 
for the female of the species is more deadly than the male. (laughs) I like this poem. Man's timid heart is bursting with the things he must not say, for the woman that God gave him isn't his to give away. But when hunter meets with husbands, each confirms the other's tale. The female of the species is more deadly than the male. Hobb points out, it's not women that are unfaithful, it's people. It's just you think that because you're a man. And men tend to get a lot more opportunity than women to mess about. Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure in the original uh, Bartari story, the sex worker the ha- is actually a member of his harem who loves him and says, oh, no, you should have this, my king. Uh, instead, of, instead of I'll sell it to you. Yeah. So like, yeah, your, your uh, wife was so fickle sleeping with the other guy while you're sleeping with an entire harem full of women. Yeah, that makes sense. And yes, women are so fickle, except for that soldier who slept with your wife and with that other woman. Mm. Yeah, look at that, all those women being fickle. It's humans. (laughs) Humans! (laughs) What would ye, ladies? It was ever thus. Men are unwise and curiously planned. They have their dreams and do not think on us what take the golden road to Samarkand. That is a poem by James Elroy Flecker called The Golden Road to Samarkand. I can put a link to that in the show notes up at thedreaming.motodust.com. Heck yeah. To read the whole thing. Jim poses a question to the two men. Why does the water glow like that? The dream magic of the sea. Phosphorescent algae. Anyway, the story isn't true. I love that they both have their explanations. Mm -hmm. Hobbs right, though. (laughs) Sure. Well, maybe phosphorescent algae is the dream magic of the sea. Yeah, but then dream magic of the sea is a meaningless phrase. It's not magic. It's not dreaming. Maybe the sea is dreaming. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what happens when it what dreams. What happens when it wakes up? It eats you. We find out what happens when it wakes up later on in this story. <laughs> There's a storm on the way. Hob knows it's coming. Yeah, he knows because uh, he's had years of experience, but he's so young looking. Hmm, mm-hmm. curious. They batten down the hatches for a storm. And spending time inside during the storm, Jim learns a few things from Hob. Mm-hmm. He knows a lot about what's going on in the ship, even though he's never been here before. Hmm, curious. He told me about the slave ships, how all the slaves would be linked together by one long chain. So if they sighted a naval ship, they'd just throw the slave at the end of the chain overboard and the rest would follow into the sea. So this would have been at the time when slavery was illegal, but they were still doing it. They were still shipping people. It was, I believe the naval, the English Navy had declared it illegal. So you weren't allowed to run them, but it was still legal in America. So they would buy them if you could make it. Interesting. And so because you didn't want to get caught, you would dump your evidence if they got close. That is so horrible. That's horrifying. Yes. That means at the bottom of the ocean, there's just chains with people linked to it. Yeah. (sighs) Lots of them. Lots and lots. Oh, my God. That's that's horrible to think about. Here's a little thing to think about as well. There are as many slaves in the world today as there were at the height of the slave trade. And it's because there's just more people in the world, so the percentage is lower, but the total number is the same. Slavery is still a worldwide problem. We just don't have a slave trade going, you know, over oceans. It just goes across undefended borders and things like that. 
and a few people smuggled in on planes and things like that. It's terrible. World's terrible. People are terrible. Humans are terrible. Let's read some good comics. Jim has a lucky stone. Yeah. It's uh, supposed to protect him from drowning, but uh, Hob doesn't think that that's the best way to stop not drown. Yeah, it just says it's a lump of cal- uh, chalcedony. Or chalcedony, but I think chalcedony is the proper way. They're both acceptable. Chalcedony. Mm-hmm. You just don't drown. I've done it a dozen times. It's easy once you get the hang of it. Don't drown. That's his, That's been a secret the whole time. Even before he was granted immortality, he was telling everybody else, death's just a mugs game. It's just easy. You just don't die. Mm-hmm. That's his trick. It's not a joke, Jim. Although if you take it too seriously, you're in deep trouble. <laughs> Jim finds an old photograph. Mm-hmm. To my Bobby, till death, my sweet, your own Elizabeth. Elspeth. Oh, Elspeth. Jim assumes that the picture is of Hobbes' father. Mm-hmm. The sea becomes becalmed. Mm. They can't go anywhere at all. Everyone tries their superstitions to try to get the wind to come back. Some of them mm-hmm. whistle. Nat Donning has a lump of pink coral wrapped in white seal skin, which he hangs from the bowsprit. The captain throws his shoes into the water. <laughs> and then there's a giant shoal of fish rapidly approaching them. Yeah. Well, we know why, right? Mm-hmm. It's they're ch- They're fleeing. Something coming after them. It's like that herd scene in Jurassic Park. Yes, it is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but even bigger. So they catch tons and tons of fish. They catch a whole bunch of fish. Even flying fish. Yeah. Catch them straight out of the air and throw them back in the water. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, suddenly one of the... uh, Oh, that's um, that's the that's the second mate up on the up I on the rigging. So, yeah. He thinks he sees land. Yeah. And everyone's like, "There's no land there," and he's like, "Oh wait, it's, it's gone." And suddenly. That was no land. And we get, it's a two-page spread that's just so damn big. Like, like I see it and I go, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big serpent. But then you see the ship. And that was a big ship. And that so. was a pretty big ship. Like, you have to put a person on there. So, like, yeah, this thing is uh, yeah. impossibly big. This is a real big fish lizard. <laughs> yes. It's just epic big fish lizard. Uh, Leviathan, I think, is the term we're looking for. Now, if you had to decide what kind of noise it was making out of its mouth, oh man, what do you think it would be like? That's the thing. There is no sound here, right? Like it's just a splash. Uh, oh, you think it's silent? Well, there's no sound here, and also it kind of disappears. So I wonder if it, if it doesn't make a noise, or if it just like all it is is the thrashing. Ah, it's got that big sack under its jaw, though. I'm gonna. It's probably low and deep, like a. Demon frog. Like a whale? Like something really low and be down in the subsonics. Yeah. Be along the lines of the boah that you hear in in movie trailers these days. Except a little more organic. Interesting. See, I'm picturing like a scraw sound. Scraw! But then Mm. like essentially just like doubled over in every octave. Within your, yeah. within what your ears can hear. It seems way too big to me to make a scraw sound. I'm just picturing like a bird scraw. Scraw! But like what you've done is you've taken it and then you've just doubled the sound over all the way from like the bassiest bass mm. to the highest treble. So you're just hearing like a wall of scraw. 
Mm. That's what I'm picturing. Okay. Scraw. Scraw. And then it disappears, and there's a bunch of crying sailors. Yeah, they... they... And everybody just kind of pretends they didn't see it. No one talks about it. Yeah. No one will talk to Jim about it. And Jim's like, why won't nobody talk to me about it? But Mm -hmm. Hobbs like, "Mm, you know, if you want, you can go tell the newspapers. Go ahead. Go tell the newspapers. Yeah, it won't make any difference. Mm. Hob runs off to town when they do get to, where are they? Alden? Aden. Where's that? Uh, It's a port city in Yemen. Oh, in Aden. Jim runs off into town. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he returns, he walks in on our two immortals having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And Hob's thinking about changing careers, out of shipping, maybe printing again or publishing. Mm. And Hob asks who Jim told, knows that it was nobody because she doesn't want to draw attention to herself. Of course. Just like Hob doesn't want to draw attention to himself. Yeah, pretty much. That's a big reason why he kind of stays out of it. Yeah. Since quiet. We find out here that this is the end of one of his lives. Mm-hmm. That that's what's going on. He's going to have this old Hob die and he'll be the new young one who inherits everything and then probably sells it off to go into printing or publishing. Yeah. And... uh and that uh, that Hob knows that Jim isn't a boy because he has met more than fifty mm-hmm. um, uh, girls on the sea. That he's clearly spent enough time in shipping to have done that, and also that it's pretty common, apparently. I don't even think it has to be shipping exactly. He doesn't even say shipping. Just in you general, know, you're not the first lass I've known in my time was passing, nor even the fiftieth. There are things you get to recognize given enough time. Mm. And that's another thing. He's so old. Like, think of the things that as you get older, you kind of pick up on. Mm -hmm. Now imagine you've had several hundred years of picking up on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fair. Men can be sailors. Why can't girls? Because life's not fair, I suppose. There. And that's profundity for you. (laughs) We find out Jim's, uh, maybe not real name, birth name is Margaret. Her mama used to call her Peggy. And uh, Hob throws away that photograph from earlier. It was hard for me to tell what this was at first. I was like, mm-hmm. why is it throwing away a CD? Why is there a CD? <laughs> it looks like a CD. And then, no. It's like, man, I just I just don't feel the same way about this Nirvana album anymore. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he throws, he throws away that photograph. Yep. Uh, and says that he's changing himself up. Now he's young Robbie. Back from 20 years abroad, he's the, he's going to be the grandson? Oh, no, the, mm-hmm. not the grandson, his Uncle Bob, so. Yeah, his great uncle, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great nephew. Given time, you'll spin a yarn of what we saw in the ocean. Given time, I'll tell the tale of the handsome cabin boy. The handsome cabin boy is actually the name of a sea ballad. Mm. And Kate Bush has recorded a copy of it. And it is about a woman pretending to be a man Hmm. to go to sea. 
Although I think it existed long before Hob Gadling. He didn't write it. I think no. he might be making an allusion he's, to it. Yeah, he's referencing that. Yeah. So the last time uh, that Jim ever saw Hob, that was when they got to Liverpool mm-hmm. and Hob left with the, uh, with the Indian man. Uh, Jim continued on to a couple different places. They went to, to Rio, to the Azores, Boston, and they were on their way to Newfoundland when the ship crashed and they mm-hmm. ended up in the in-between place. Yeah. In the inn. Yeah. And Jim doesn't have much more time when they can still pretend to be a man. No. Because the changes are going to come over them more and it'll be just harder to do. Well, they left home at 13. Yeah. And it's been, it takes a while to cross the ocean. And so how many crossings have they made? Like they've gone, well, Bombay Bombay to Liverpool will be their first time going that far, right? Because they, they left from Australia. They ended up from Australia to Bom- mm-hmm. to, to Bombay. Right. And then from Bombay but to a, Liverpool, then a, all the way south to Rio, mm-hmm. and then back north again. Right. But a young woman can always pretend to be a younger man. Yes, totally. Right? And but also, at a certain point, she won't be able to do that anymore. Also at this point as well, like um, this was... This is a hundred years ago, give or take some change, and uh, puberty in humans, at least humans with a Western diet and whatnot, is sped up now. Mm-hmm. So, like, what? Yeah. So, like, things that that would show on a on a thirteen year old nowadays might not show up till a girl who's sixteen or older. Sure. Right. Like. Yep. Yeah. No one ever knew, but she's going to have to change her name at some point. And when, someday soon, I forsake the sea, like a sailor leaving his lady love on the shore, I shall take another name to me and build another life. But for now, you can call me Jim. Mm. What do you think of this one? I liked it. Yeah, it's a fun little story, right? Yeah. And it doesn't even, there's not really a lot of tension involved. It's just I'm on a ship and there's some stuff going on and then we saw... A sea serpent, and then nobody talked about it, and that was weird. But then we talked about that some more, and then I was done. Mm-hmm. And we get to meet another immortal and find out another immortal's st- story. Yeah. And that they kind of recognize each other. Yeah, they know of each other. Mm-hmm. There aren't many of them left. They have to look out for each other. Yeah. So the next issue is called The Golden Boy. Okay. Any ideas whatsoever? Now, this is an, so The Golden Boy is going to be another one of the stories being told. In the In It World's End. Okay. Any guesses whatsoever? The Golden Boy. Yes. Can you give me another hint? Hmm. Uh, The Golden Boy's first name is Prez. No idea at all, actually. Okay. All right. I guess we'll have to find out what happens next episode. You've been Dreaming of the Sandman, Issue 53, World's End, Chapter 3. For show notes, visit thedreaming.motivedust.com. Support future episodes at patreon.com slash thedreaming, and we'd sure appreciate it if you tell your friends about us. Our theme music is Oneri by Kai Engel. Hear more at kaiengel.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and tsleil Nations. I'm Joe Fulgen. Thanks for listening. Time to wake up.